0: Many comedians are probably true to what they really believe. Um, But if you are at all countercultural, it's very, very difficult to get on in the industry. So, you know, there are sort of gatekeepers around, you know, what you can get on TV, who's going to commission you to write a sitcom or what have you. And if you don't sort of share a particular outlook or you touch, particularly touch on on, uh, uh, controversial issues, um, then it's very difficult to make a career and make a living out of it.
1: Today on British Thought Leaders I sit down with comedian Andy Shaw, co-founder and organiser of London comedy night, Comedy Unleashed. The night hosts comedians who challenge conventional thinking and has a reputation for featuring comics who have been cancelled or banned. Andy is also a writer and podcast creator for The Spectator. I'm Lee Hall and this is British Thought Leaders. Andy Shaw, thanks for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thanks for inviting me. In 2018 you founded Comedy Unleashed. Could you tell us a bit about your comedy night and what's different about it? Sure,
0: Yeah. so uh, we very grandly call it the home of free thinking comedy. Um, but it's really a permissive space for comedians of all different sort of backgrounds, cultural perspectives, political views. Uh, to say what they like, to experiment, to have fun, and the only real judge on their comedy is whether the audience laughs or not. Uh, Andrew and I, uh, sorry, Andrew Doyle and I, set the club up in two thousand and eighteen because we felt that comedy was becoming more and more sort of uh, constricted in its outlook and more and more bland. And I think it was the, it was probably really the Brexit vote in 2016 and also then Trump getting uh, elected over in the States just sort of put this sort of shiver of fear through a sort of (laughs) the cultural establishment of society Uh, and um, the response to it, the sort of fairly visceral response also reflected itself in the arts and in comedy. Uh, And I remember, in fact, I remember going to a comedy night in one of the big clubs in the West End and uh, one of the comedians said, did anyone here vote to leave the EU, vote for Brexit? And someone put their hand up and they were just uh, lampooned through the entire evening. (laughs) And I actually felt quite sorry for them. Now, it's not that you, you know, shouldn't be able to make jokes about Brexit voters, you know, quite right. But equally, the sort of fairly hysterical remainder response was not reflected in comedy, so it all just felt very, very one-sided. And Andrew and I decided to put a, put a, a, a gig on where we just tried to find people who did at least didn't vote against Brexit, um, uh, uh, comedians, trying to find as many comedians as we could, and we put a night on. And I remember Dominic Frisby, who was the MC on that evening, saying, right, who in here voted Leave? Half the audience went, hey, who in here voted Remain? the other half of the audience went, hey, Tony said, 52, 48, <laughs> it's like, it was like Britain. And it was it was so liberating because it did actually reflect the realities of the, of, the, of the British population. And after we did that gig, so many people kept coming up to me after saying, can we have another of those nights, can you do it again, can you do it again? And, and then we said, actually, let's put some effort into this and we formed Comedy Unleashed. And we've now had probably about 150 comedians, 160 comedians perform from sort of big names who perform sets that they wouldn't do elsewhere. Uh, Or they want to try material out because they're preparing for something that's going to be on the TV. Or young comedians who've got good ideas or people who are a bit countercultural. And it's from every sort of perspective. And we try and mix it up every night. Uh, And it's just become a a little bit of a countercultural scene, uh, which, you know, at least we enjoy once a month.
1: So the ethos on your website is, we believe no comedian should need to self-censor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people might be quite surprised that you even need to say that, Like comedians are known for saying what they think. What What made you want to come up with this ethos?
0: I wish comedians would say what they think. Or rather, I wish that there were more comedians who think differently, who actually could have a career as a comedian. So I think... You know, some, you know, many comedians are probably true to what they really believe. Um, but if you are at all countercultural, it's very, very difficult to get on in the industry. So, it, you know, there are sort of gatekeepers around, you know, what you can get on TV, who's going to commission you to write a sitcom or what have you. And if you don't sort of share a particular outlook or you touch, particularly touch on, on, uh, on uh, uh, controversial issues, Um, then it's very difficult to make a career and make a living out of it. So I I think there is a level of self-censorship going on where people sort of think "Mm, they'll steer away from that subject and they play it safe, which makes comedy a bit more bland. Um, And there are very clear examples where somebody will say something that is transgressive or a little bit out there, or touches on a thorny issue, and they are (laughs) cancelled, you know, they do lose their gigs, lose their agents, you know, get banned from Twitter, all of that sort of thing. So I think it creates a sort of fairly conformist culture. Uh, And I do think that's reflected in the fact that there are literally no sitcoms on TV nowadays. Um, There are very few sketch shows, so all of the sort of, everything from Monty Python, Fast Show, Little Britain, you know, where, where, where is all of that? So the industry does seem to be sort of quite constrained around, you know, BBC's Live at the Apollo, you know, etc. Um, so, yeah, I think there's quite a conformist sort of um, atmosphere uh, in comedy. And in fact, Kate Copstick, one of the um, probably the top uh, 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 comedy critic in the UK, said that Edinburgh this year which is meant to be the alternative comedy festival. Um, felt like the most conformist uh, festival that she's ever been to.
1: So, who are these people that you mentioned, gatekeepers, that are kind of trying to control the narrative, if you like? Why are they trying to do that? Do you think? Yeah, I,
0: I, I, I don't think it's such a conscious thing of people trying to control the narrative. I just think we've got to a cultural place where sort of culture's been imbued, culture's sort of been imbued with a little bit of a. Um, this is the right side of history you've got to make these sort of you you've got to sort of um, use culture to make certain points um, uh, uh, it's become a little bit more sort of politicized in that way so that, that that's definitely happened but a lot of people just go along with it so um, so you've got a sort of mixture of people who sort of are trying to do this and a lot of people who just want to sort of play it safe and keep their jobs and and you know make a career and get on and that is you know the most the majority of people. But the actual gatekeepers are you know the people who give out the awards at the Edinburgh Festival. You know uh, you know certain types of people get awards. I mean sometimes it looks like a sort of diversity committee checkbox.
1: So,
0: you know one of them, one of them you know and it's and it just but they're not funny. You know, I, you know, I've watched it and I sort of get what they're trying to do, but it's not funny. It's not gut-wrenchingly funny. So um, the gatekeepers are, yeah, people who run the awards, people who run the festivals, the, the, the relatively small number of commissioners in TV, um, which sort of have their coterie of people they trust and they like. And, you know, if an idea is pitched, it's a friend of a friend and that sort of thing. So it's a relatively small industry um, and, um, uh, and it is, for, yeah, sort of fairly self-contained.
1: I've heard some comedians had even been asked to sign an agreement not to joke about certain subjects, do you have any examples of that?
0: Yeah, I mean there are are quite a few examples, Um, I mean there's some uh, sort of low level ones where there are uh, pre-agreements signed, I mean that's not very common uh, to be fair, most clubs just book people. uh, but, you know, there are a few examples, uh, clubs who sort of, you know, really try and exude their values and ensure that all the comedians, you know, uh, are, are not this phobic, that phobic, you know, what have you. Um, uh, it is in the minority, but it does happen. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's more that uh, if you uh, do stray out into um, controversial topic, uh, you know, topics, you're more likely to just not get booked next time. So the sort of quiet cancellation is is much more effective than the big sort of, you know, uh, you must sign this agreement or, you know, you've been on and we cancel you. It's more that you just sort of don't get invited to the
1: party. Right, talking about cancellations, probably the biggest one that I died of was Jerry Sadowitz at Edinburgh this year. Yeah. The Pleasance Theatre accused him of extreme racism, uh, sexism, homophobia and misogyny. They did. Uh, He said they cheapened and simplified his act um, what, what are your thoughts on that situation?
0: Well, Jerry is uh, utterly offensive. Uh, he's uh, totally self-loathing. Uh, he offends everybody in the room. And it's just, you know, his, his, his act is, is absolutely misanthropic. And the reason people go and see him is because it is hilariously funny. It is so transgressive and so inappropriate and so wrong and so cleverly done the way that this character rants on stage, it is gut-wrenchingly in the aisles funny. Uh, his act was called Not For Anyone, which is, you know, it's like, if you have any doubt what you're gonna go and see, you know, th- that says it all. Everybody knows Jerry Sadowitz, what he's like. He's also hugely respected by comedians. You know, Jerry's been going for 40-odd years, and he is the comedian's comedian. So whatever people's political or cultural perspective and background in the comedy world, the vast majority of comedians have huge amounts of respect for Jerry Sadowitz. So when he was cancelled, I think it was more than when, say, Roy Chubby Brown is cancelled in Sheffield, where most comedians think, oh, that's a bit tacky, all of that stuff. But Jerry is just is really respected. So I do think it was a watershed uh, in the comedy world that the biggest alternative comedy festival in the world, the Edinburgh Fringe, with, with one of the most long-serving uh, comedians is cancelled is a bit of a watershed moment, and I was surprised about the sort of muted response to it. And it's interesting, Jerry never normally talks about his work. You go and see him, no one is ever allowed to film anything. He doesn't want people to write about it. It's just, you come, see the act, go home, that's it. And he doesn't talk, he doesn't do interviews. But after this one, he did. Um, And he said, uh, uh, you know, people are hearing the words, but they're not listening to what's being said. So it's like hearing a word that's an offensive word, I feel triggered, that's offensive, you shouldn't be able to say that, rather than listening to what he's actually saying and looking at the craft of his act and actually the comedic genius of how he's 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 playing with all this all these transgressive ideas. So, you know, his response is this is just, you know, it's just philistinism it's It's the sort of angry philistines are are listened to rather than you know venue owners who should just be saying, Look, you know, I'll put on whatever acts. The only judge of whether the act is good is whether you fill the room or not, and people laugh i think the, the the thing that did force Jerry to come out and talk is they started off the venue started off saying uh, he doesn't conform with our values, and then it was either a day or two days later they then said um in uh, in response to some some articles that were written about it, they said he is homophobic, racist, transphobic, etc., etc. And I think that's where Jerry genuinely got upset. That he said, "You just you're not listening to what I'm doing. You're not trying to make sense of it. You're just reacting to uh, to a few words." Um, uh, and and you know, hence he came out and felt the need to talk about it.
1: So, have we, have we reached an age where? Irony is dead, you can't kind of be ironically offensive because people will just understand the surface value and and can't accept that you're trying to do something a bit deeper to to kind of expose the the thing that you're lampooning.
0: Uh, I think most people, for most people, irony is not dead. Sarcasm's not dead, all all the different aspects of even, you know, dark humor uh, on the, you know, when you're working in emergency services or on the hospital wards. Humour gets you through life, and, and humour uh, and getting a joke shows a level of um, you know intellectual understanding. I think for most people, uh, you know, irony is not dead at all. Um, you know, we're surrounded by um, you know material that could be satirised. I mean, life is so bonkers nowadays. <laughs> I think you know people find it funny in real life. I think in certain areas it is harder if, if you've got one person who seeks to take offence and they know that they have the power to bring you down there are people who can sense that power and it does attract bad actors uh you know people who have a bit of a power you know who want to get on a bit of a power trip there are some people who are quite naive who've just been schooled in this you know safe space environment and uh, you know everybody should just sort of you know use all the right words and if they hear it it's sort of well that's wrong I need to report that. So I think it is harder in certain places it is or rather it's more risky to be funny or to try and be funny because the consequence of getting it wrong or somebody accidentally misunderstanding what you're saying or willfully misunderstanding what you're saying and then reporting it to a higher authority can have pretty disastrous consequences at work, um, or you get banned on Twitter, or you, know, you don't get the gig. So I, don't, I think in real life, I think there's a big disconnect between how people are, how most people are, and how certain environments are, and how they're sort of policed and managed.
1: With the, with, when Jerry Sadowitz did get canceled, some fairly big TV names like Catherine Ryan, Richard Herring um, yeah. came out in defense of him. Uh, why would these TV celebrities kind of risk their reputation to defend someone who has been extremely racist, misogynist, etc., if, if that really was the case? Yeah,
0: I think, and also Jack D came yeah. out and, and, and defended him as well. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, hats off to them. Um, but you've just, you, you've named two and I've named one. Let's try and <laughs> name some more, you know. Where's everybody else? Right. I think in a different environment, if we were. Living in a, in a society where you had an overtly authoritarian government that was censoring comedy and somebody got banned, the whole of the com- comedic world would rally around that person. Uh, uh, and it's bizarre to me that we have a different type of censorship going on and people look at their shoes and shuffle off and sort of, you know, well, it's nothing to do with me, you know, and so, you know, a few people do stick their heads above the parapet. Now, the people who do are well-established, well-respected people who will be able to maintain their careers. Uh, I think the big effect that it has is on people who are, you know, a couple of levels below that, who are trying to make their career or, uh, uh, you know, trying to get that gig on TV, you know, all those people, you know, steer clear and and uh, and, uh, and try and avoid the controversial issues because, um, you know, the bigger and you know, Ricky Gervais, for example, he can just do what he wants. You know, he's got millions in the bank. <laughs> Netflix know he's going to put a special out, and there's millions and millions of people who are going to watch. He can do anything he wants. He can say what he wants. No one can touch him. So he's genuinely free to say what he thinks. Um, but most of us aren't in that situation.
1: You mentioned Ricky Gervais and a couple of other big names who've refused yeah. to toe the woke line, if you like, like Chris Rock or Louis C.K. Yeah. They don't kind of disappear. They actually seem to be doing quite well. Do you think this shows a kind of mismatch between what the public want and what the entertainment providers want to give them?
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a it, it, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. There's a huge audience out there for genuine uh, humour. And, uh, and, and good comedy. And, uh, you know, you can turn on the TV uh, and you can go to a lot of clubs and you just don't find it. There's a bit of tittering and a bit of laughter, but um, there's a huge disjoint between the sort of cultural c- curators who think they know what's best for people and what, um, what people do really want. I remember, I remember there's, there's a video you can look up on, uh, on YouTube with Frank Zappa saying what killed the music industry And he said, do you know what? I don't want any music executives to actually like music or understand music. I just want them to make money. So it used to be great because the the guys in the pinstripe suits just said, right, I don't know anything about you, right, I'll put the album out. If it sells well, we'll do a second album. And he said, they were great because they just, they wanted to make the money. There's an audience out there, and then we could just follow our art, produce produce the music and what have you, and it would just sell millions and millions. He said, the big problem happened when the when the hippies started to take over, started off as an intern, became the managers, became the, uh, um, um, the guys finding the bands and, and, and deciding what gets put out. They thought they knew what the public wanted. But actually all they did is reflect their own opinions. And of course the uh, record sales went down and down and down and then they missed all the, news, all the new musical trends. And I think that's what we've got here, is I'd much rather people just, two things, one is, people just want to make money. So a venue just thinks, I want to fill this venue. Or Netflix thinks, I just want a big audience and just puts people on and and, and tries stuff out. And secondly, commissioners who recognize potential uh, uh, or something new in an artist and give them a bit of uh, uh, support and space and resources to try it out. You know, Spike Milligan would never have got on television Uh, nowadays. I mean, there's so many shows that would just never have got a break if they didn't have a slightly rogue commissioner who just thought, there's something in that, give it a go and see if it works. So I think that, you know, I'd much rather it gets back to people who just want to make money uh, and people who uh, have, um, you know, just, just love art and love culture and just want to try stuff out rather than these people who sort of think they know best and then they sort of manage it all for the rest
1: of us. If we turn on the TV to watch some comedy, it feels it's, it's very left-leaning these days. It's hard to find anything that's a bit more kind of right-leaning or conservative with a small C. Yeah. Is this the media reflecting the change in society, or is this the media kind of trying to push a cultural change on people?
0: I think it, I think it just um, reflects the world view of the people who run media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be honest, in the art, it's always been left-leaning. You know, the arts has always been more liberal than probably most of society and certainly than than the establishment. Um, you know, it's been said by many people that we now have um the sort of left-leaning people are the <laughs> establishment. Um and 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 that is true. But 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 it has, you know, largely been the case throughout sort of, you know, cultural history, certainly in sort of, you know, in the last sort of fifty, sixty years. Um I think what has changed, though is that um, cultures become a little bit more politicized in the sense that it 's seen that we need to educate people a little we need to sort of reflect these sorts of values because they 're worried that um, uh, uh, you know that people are a little bit bigoted or a little bit stupid or or what have you i think I think that 's definitely true is that There's a lot of art that's become more self-consciously educational in the way that in the way that it's presented. I also think that um, it's not necessarily an issue of left and right. So I know everyone will sort of bang on about the Tories, uh, but they won't, you know, go on about just stop oil or uh, you know the madness of the whole trans debate or or what have you. Um, But I think I think it's more that um, there's a sort of I mean Dominic Frisbee says it's more sort of authoritarian, freedom loving. <laughs> and I think there is a I think the I think there's some truth in that, in that uh, there's a sense of we need to sort of manage how people behave a little bit more and control, you know, and just sort of, you know, this is what is acceptable language. There's a sort of educational, supportive, sort of controlling impulse, which is which is um which is quite predominant, rather than a Let's give it a go. See what happens. <laughs> you know, could go wrong, and and that sort of um, more free thinking uh, experiment, uh, experimentation and a sort of free spirit, which to me is actually what the, the the lifeblood of the arts is and the lifeblood of comedy is. If you find something funny, uh, and you can make other people laugh, it's funny. Um, so the sort of follow your art, um, you know. If you think it's funny, you know, go and do it and try it out with an audience. Um, and it might work. It might not work. It um, uh, uh, is actually the only way that art will regenerate itself. And the, other, the only way that will bring new comedians through and, and new formats and new ways of thinking. And, you know, maybe even new forms of humor. I mean, stand up has been going for what, 60 years? So, you know, that, that is an art form. You know, why hasn't it died? Why hasn't that morphed into something else? Um, uh, so, uh, so I think you need that free spirit and you've, and, and the key thing is that you've got to trust people, you've got to assume the best in other people and you've got to trust, uh, that, you know, people are actually quite good judges of things rather than try and sort of constrict and manage what is presented to them. So I think, yeah, it's a big, you know, the the more we can get a free spirit back into comedy, the better comedy will be.
1: Moving on from talking about comedians to the general public I'm thinking back to when I entered the workplace, it was kind of a rite of passage that someone would take the mickey out of you, you'd be the butt of a joke and you had to take it, possibly you'd make a joke back. But in in modern society it feels uh, we've lost that to some degree because we might offend someone. Do you think jokes still have a place in our modern workplace or modern society? (laughs)
0: I absolutely do, yeah, and I remember that as well, I remember um, when I I, I started working for a big corporate uh, amongst a bunch of um, engineers, telecoms engineers, and there was banter all the time, and you earned respect if you could come back with something that was cleverer, or was a play on what they did, or was a slight put down. And in fact, you know, people weren't offended by it, but that's how you earned respect. Uh, You also felt that when people gave you a nickname or, or, you know, took the mick, you were treated as a bit of one of the gang. So it was a sort of, uh, you know, it sort of created a sort of camaraderie amongst people working together. So I think, uh, I mean, I don't know now. I don't work there. I don't know what it would be like if I was a young guy going to work there now, what the atmosphere would be like. Um, But I do get the sense that that, um, it, it isn't like it used to be. Um, and also the sort of dark humour that you get in very stressful situations, you know, working in the police and the fire brigade, uh, you know, nurses working on A&E through the night shift, you know, the sort of, you know, if the patient's heard <laughs> what the nurses used to joke about. <laughs> but, it's, but that sort of dark humour is, 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 uh, is a way of... Uh, you know, having some sort of relief and the sort of, the people who are working through that situation having a sense of camaraderie amongst them. And I think it's really important. I think humour is a really important social release. I think um, at at work it must be a lot harder because it only takes one person to take offence and then go to HR and, you know, the consequences are you could be disciplined, you could lose your job, Uh, you know, the, the consequences of it are quite severe. There isn't a sort of culture of, um, I mean, interestingly, I, d- I did a, um, uh, chaired a session at a thing called the Battle of Ideas last weekend. And Tamandra, Tamandra Harkness made a point that when she started working in quite a male environment, there were like girly calendars on the wall and it was lads banter. And she felt quite awkward as the only woman working in the workplace. But she challenged it, not in an aggressive way, but just like, you know, I, I don't really like that and they sort of moderated their behavior a little bit. But she said what really made a difference is when more and more women started working there. And the sense of, the the humor wasn't lost, but it was less lads banter and more everyone bantering with each other. She said, you you know, that's what changed the environment. So that's how it should be, rather than, you imagine she started working there. All the lads have been working there for 20 years. She turns up. She takes offence, complains to management. You know, it's not going to help her sort of fit in, um, and also the consequences for those lads could be, uh, you know, could be quite disastrous. So I can imagine, yeah, things at work uh, in sort of, you know, public service and in, in in corporates are quite different. I'm sure it's well, I know for a fact because I do it. It's very different in small workplaces where you all know each other and, and there isn't a big HR department. Um, I suppose the other thing is that a lot of jokes have gone online, sorry, into WhatsApp. So rather than jokes in the office, it's sort of, you know, uh, jokes on on WhatsApp. So it's almost been sort of uh, hidden and privatized amongst people who trust each other,
1: um, which is, yeah, a bit of a sad state of affairs, really. So should people take more risks, do you think, to try and kind of um, bring things back?
0: Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, do, do what you can. I, th- I think we, we can all talk about um, what's happening in culture and uh, around free speech and, and what have you. And we can talk about it at an intellectual level. But I think it's equally important to just go and do it. It's a bit like setting the club up, setting the comedy club up. We say, oh, you know, comedy clubs aren't so much fun and this happened to me and, you know, isn't that bad? And we just, well, why don't we set a club up? <laughs> so we've got, you know, do what we believe in. Uh, and set it up and, um, you know, try and make something happen. So I think the more people do that, the more people do take a stand. if, uh, you know, you're a venue owner and somebody complains about an act, you say to them, uh, okay, if you didn't like it, that's fine, don't come again. Um, but if you don't let that happen, you're denying all the people who want to see it. Because free speech works two ways. It's, you know, my right to say something, but I think it's even more important is the social value of free speech which is all of our right to listen to and watch and read whatever we want and make our own minds up I think that's the I think that 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 is hugely important Uh, and I think more people demanding the right to do that you know don't well don't ban that because I want to see what they've got to say and I might not agree with them but I want to make my own mind up you know don't treat me like a child I think the more people who do that alongside the people who uh, do want to write what they want or um, uh, produce whatever comedy they want, just find a way of doing it uh, and and uh, and if it's any good you will find an audience. So yeah I would really encourage people to where they can, clearly if it's you know if you're at work and <laughs> it's a difficult situation, maybe not you don't want to lose your job but I think as much as possible people sort of stand up for what they believe in and follow their art and follow what they find funny, follow what what they believe to be true to themselves uh, then i think yeah we can change this culture around because i think it's very fragile i think most people don't buy into it um i think the you know vast majority of people don't buy into it but it but it's it's sort of it's a, you know there's like a sort of thin veneer of of uh, of sort of blandness um that if more and more people break through it i think uh, i think yeah we can really turn things around
1: it seems even our uh, everyday language is affected by this political correctness culture um yeah. you find yourself not using certain words in case someone gets offended and things like that. Um, should we just accept that that's how the world is now or should we be kind of trying to push back a little?
0: Well, language normally changes uh, because uh, of people's everyday experience. So new words, um, you know, are added into the dictionary when they, uh, you know, generate a me- or develop a meaning within society. So normally language changes from the bottom up, if you like, from people's everyday experiences or certain subcultures. I think what's happening here is the other way around, is that language is being reinvented for us to then uh, adopt it. Uh, And I think that's a very, very different thing. So no, I don't think we should accept it. I think we should say what we believe best describes what we're trying to say and what we know to be true. I think if language is, is, uh, becomes something that's manipulated uh, and you've got, to be, you've got to use certain words uh, and be very careful about what you say, I think we start doubting ourselves. And uh, we're sort of almost like looking to others for guidance and guess who's gonna give us the guidance? It's all the people who put themselves up as, the, uh, put themselves up as our educators, the people who know best for us. You know. No, I think trust, trust your own judgment uh, think for yourself, say what you believe to be true, um, and uh, you know i think that's that 's the right way to go now in in reality, we also are sensitive to other people, so you know we all want to be liked, we all want pe- other people to feel comfortable, and just like we do in everyday life, whether we 're you know in the pub or at work we're you know we do what you know what 's called code code switching you know i, I don 't swear at work, but if i 'm in the pub, I do, and I tell you know jokes and uh, and what have you so I think everybody adapts the different situations that they're in um, because um, you know we are sociable and we want everyone to get on uh, well with each other but as a general rule I think I think you know saying what you believe to be true and choosing the right words to convey what you're really trying to express is is absolutely the right thing to do
1: if our viewers want to find out more about your comedy night, where can they find that?
0: Ah, right. Okay. Um, so the website is comedyunleashed.co.uk. Uh, if you go onto YouTube and search Comedy Unleashed, we've got about sixty thousand subscribers. So we try and put as much uh, video content out there as we can. At uh, Unleashed Comedy on Twitter, um, and um, we are going to be doing more gigs around the country as well as the UK. We've just finished. A, we're just about to finish a fifteen-day UK-wide tour. Uh, so it's not just London Uh, and also if there's anyone out there who is a comedian who uh, uh, would like to get on stage and they think they've got you know they've got something a little bit countercultural, a little bit different then um, uh, email us you can find our email on the website and it would be great to hear from them. Andy Shaw
1: thanks for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you very much.